0: So um, the verse we're looking at today is Romans 13:8, uh, that bit and then 14. But I'll put the bit in between up there in case you want to read it. O, no one anything except to love one another. For the one who loves another has fulfilled the law. The commandments: you shall not commit adultery, you shall not murder, you shall not steal, you shall not cover, and any other commandment are summed up in this word: love your neighbour as yourself. Love does no wrong to a neighbour; therefore, love is the fulfilling of the law. Instead, put on the Lord Jesus Christ and make no provision uh, for the flesh to gratify his desires. I'm quite nervous this morning about what I'm going to go for, because um, I think I've lately tried to bite off more than I can chew. So it's going to be a broad sweep, so bear with me for a simplistic story that hopefully will make a bit of sense of this. Um, in the beginning, there was our hairy human ancestors. There's one of them. There. Um, and our hairy human ancestors, much like us, had many desires uh, for various things, for their needs to be fulfilled, um, to feel important, to feel uh, full up with food, to have sex, to probably be, have some sort of power in their communities. Um, and it occupied their mind, as you can see here, you probably can't read some of it, sex, power, food, revenge, best fear, be sitting in front of the fire. Um, but lions and other animals uh, in Africa were stronger than human beings and uh, had bigger teeth and were faster. Uh, so they could kill us really easily. So we had to sort of like, work together. That was our thing. We had to like, work together. And uh, to summarise the entire like, sort of uh, anthropological history in, in a couple of sentences, the proficiency of humans was, was our communication, was our ability to think abstractly and to, and to communicate with one another um, and to be a social gathering. So for us to survive, and for humans like, being born in the world, we have to have... Society, we have to have culture. It's not like an add on later, it's like how we do things, it's how we survive. And so it's good. So it's a good thing. But so like what it means is that part of being a human being is constantly working out our little desires with the group's desires because the group has to survive. If we survive, the group has to survive. So this little guy here might need revenge, a better sphere, food, sex, power. Et but he's got to balance what's going on in his desires with the rest of the group. And there has to be some order that forms for us to hold together. That's led to, obviously, hugely complex rituals and various things that the human race have come up with. Um, so, like f- for instance, the need to feel power, for the individual to feel powerful uh, in a group, they're going to have to come up with a system which assigns people roles where they can feel powerful. The need for sex is going to have to be met through rituals such as marriage and dowries. The need to express rage can often be met in the form of scapegoatism, which we'll come back to. Don't worry if you don't know what that is. Um, So with all of that, you need rules and you need order, Um, and you need people to buy into the rules and order. You can't just come up with them arbitrarily. People need to buy into them and have a shared sense of what's right and wrong, and for the sake of the group, try and make sure that everyone feels the same way about it. Uh, so that's sort of is my explanation for where judgment comes from. So because we need to know what's right and what's wrong. If you see a playground where like kids have just met each other, they're trying to sort of figure out who's in, who's up here, like who's in the hierarchy, who isn't, and and it can be like little things like the way someone says a certain word or you know the shoes they're wearing, what and we find sort of ways where we can fit in the system. I sort of as I was preparing this thought that's probably something to do with trying to meet my needs and the group's needs. If I'm the king, I'm making my needs really well and the group's needs really well. If I'm the pauper, if I'm a, someone who's excluded from the system, my needs aren't getting met very well, even though it feels like the group's needs are getting met. This sort of like balance of my, my desires and the group's desires coming together. I think we're constantly living in that tension of, of desires, so how to do that? I mean, you can see that in you know, our community on Sunday mornings, um, So what I, so I was think about, like my personal judgments when I go through the day, if something offends or disturbs me, I, like my initial reaction is just outrage, you know, like sort of paying attention to what happens in my head is just outrage, how dare that person do that, um, but you know, because I've spent years in church and have a rigorous twelve step programme, I've finally home spiritual instincts now, which means that when that happens, I go around and find people and convince them and help them understand how that person is wrong and how I'm actually right. Um... And like, I, and I joke about that, but like that stuff happens in so many ways um, for me. And, and what I often want from that is a payoff because I, what I don't want to feel is like if that person's right, it threatens my way of of, sort of existing in the world. So what I want is that person when I'm talking to, to Mark about how unfair someone wants to me at work or whatever, I want him to affirm me so that I can feel okay again, I can feel safe, I can feel important, I can feel alright. Um, like, at least I can feel owed, you know, even if no one ever apologises. I can sort of feel owed by that person. That's not the day-to-day, but we also see these things in that like, large-scale society, you know, in, in, po- in politics, um, and it sort of feels more serious because we have journalists and panel shows and people in smart clothes and highly ritualised and, and sort of confusing decision-making processes these days. Um, but it's often about the same thing. It's often about the norm. I just even think about you know like a, a, an easy example. I suppose in some ways is about the sexual, ex- sexual ethics of the country yeah, up until really recently we didn't even make it legal for like people of the same sex to get married. Um, and like you, you sort of to think about well, what's that about? And at some point it becomes it sort of moves into the norm and like that becomes accepted. But it's still about how do we preserve this group identity? How do we feel like, okay and safe? Um, and obviously. It's, Incredibly complex reasons for why we wouldn't, you know, why those sexual ethics exist. And I'm not going to try and get into those. But like, it's still about like, what's right, what's wrong, who's in, who's out. How do you fit into the system uh, that we've created to keep ourselves feeling okay? So you've got to think about like, that. There's threats to the system. There's always threats to the systems that um, exist. I've just read that. Great. Um, but this... And it's sort of, because you can see why, like, there's obviously terrible things about this system, because people get oppressed in the systems, because, like, we need scapegoats. Um, Scapegoats, by the way, are like a way of, if we all want to get along, we can pin all of our rage against each other on one person, and it's sort of like a way of uniting the social group. Yeah, let's all agree it was Andrew's fault, we'll take him out. Hang here, and then we can all get on again. Um, again, it's a dynamic you can sort of see with less violent outcomes in sort of like the behaviour of, of children. Um, so, it's, so the first thing is like it's bad because there's like this oppressive nature to it. The second thing is when you are powerful, you get to shape you get to shape the system because the system is serving you especially well. You're at the, sort of the top of it. The king's desires are getting met, and so the needs of the group. So he gets to shape the system, and he's also like... Creaming loads off the top of the system, and it's benefiting him. So he's going to protect the system for its own sake. He's not going to want to like give up um, his his uh, power, prestige, and all the things that he gets met He's not going to want to give that up. So he protects it for its own sake. That's bad, but that is surely better than just primal chaos, where we're all going around just about acting out all of our desires, all the time, so, you know running into each other and hacking each other's arms and stuff. we I mean, we wouldn't have survived, and we wouldn't survive now if we weren't able to hold together as a group. And when I was thinking about love, there's a sort of version of love that I realised recently through a couple of things I, f- I find increasingly distasteful, uh, which is almost like, it's like a refusal to acknowledge judgement as a necessary part of human culture and society. It's like, let's not, you know, and, and I read a recent Facebook post that some of you may have seen about that, both sides and two people who are arguing, it's like, come on, let's all just get along, let's just get along, it's better just to get along, rather than actually critique what is going on there and so this is my next little picture here this is a king and the, the slave and the slave says the king's me, and the king's like, can't we all just get along come on everyone, can't we all just be nice to one another, but what that doesn't take account for often is these like power structures where some people are being oppressed and some people are having it really really good um, I sort of think that sort of love is like a sentimentalism it's like, and this is being a bit unfair, I said I'm going to read it out, I might get in trouble this. This isn't love, or if it is, it's not a love that has any power in real life. It becomes a sort of sentimentalism, or is it sometimes called in funding applications interfaith dialogue? Um, because, and it's not interfaith dialogue is not that. But I have been in situations where sometimes it feels like what we're all saying is, "Come on, let's all just love each other. Love's great," and it's and it's just it's empty. It's empty because it doesn't take account for like systems that are oppressive, um, and that and that are shaped by people in power. It, it doesn't almost acknowledge power, it doesn't acknowledge real life. Um, so the, 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 or, like the, being in a system of order is really good, unless you're the person who's excluded, shamed, and judged. Um, then it, it doesn't feel as good. Uh, and then my next little picture is like, religious people, we made a nice system that helps us all get on. And this is God, he says... Bullshit. But when he says it, when God says that swear word, it sounds really lovely, like the loveliest music you've ever heard. Um, not really. Uh, so, and I sort of feel like part of like G, the, the revelation of Jesus is God calling bullshit on that system. Let me explain. Because the way the systems were set up were um, seen as God-ordained... God was on the side of the system many times. And so the scapegoats were also god ordained in some ways. God wants this person to die. They are a sinner. And there will be rationalisation for why God wants that person to die. They're a sinner. They deserved it. They fell outside of our religious rules. Jesus, claimed to be the son of God, the son of God, died according to the system, according to God's system. So then you have a choice. You say, well, either the system is correct, or this person who was pure, who lived a right life, who healed people, who announced the kingdom of God that is available to all, is the visual representation of God. And he was killed by the system. One way of reading, like, Jesus' death, is that God is on the side of the victim. And God is calling, I'm sorry I'm going to use this word again, What the last time I a calling bullshit on a system which depends upon... Uh, A murder and a lie, some some theologians said, it depends upon a murder and a lie, because it always depends upon having a scapegoat, someone is oppressed, someone is downtrodden, and it also depends on the lie, that this is the the natural way of things, this is the natural order, and this is what God wants from us. God is on the side of the victim. So, thinking about my own personal judgments, and when I get offended or disturbed by something... What is that? Why am I getting disturbed by something? Why am I getting offended by something? Often because my sense of safety, my sense of happiness, my sense of importance in the world um, is threatened. And I start to feel insecure, perhaps sad, despairing, or perhaps even just inconsequential. I really don't like feeling like that. Um, I don't like acknowledging my weaknesses. And... As I was thinking about this, I was like, it's really easy to characterise the sort of systems as the things that I already know I don't agree with. You know, like, like a Tory government. Like, I'm like, oh yeah, that's the system, man. Yeah. There's actually, like, I have my own ways of being. You know, there's certain things that I don't mind if you make fun of me. There's other things if you said to me, I know, like, and there'll be things for you that, like, what are the conversations your friends can't have with you? That's just like, oh, that maybe exposes some of that sense of, like, weakness and fragility and vulnerability that we all have. And, like, and to, to avoid that, I have to buy into, and I have to, you know, like the thing is, that stuff's there. My vulnerability, my weakness, my shame, it's all there anyway. Um, and if I don't acknowledge it, it will come out. And it will come out in a way which makes me want to try and continually feel safe, happy, and important. Which means normally, at the expense of others, I'm trying to gain some sense of like feeling like, I'm okay, I'm going to be okay. And judgment becomes like a way of life. Because then it's like, oh yeah, at least I'm not that person, or oh, at least I don't do that thing. And, you know, and then you think about like, racism and sexism and, and all the isms, um, they're booked on that thing again. It's like, oh, at least I, you know, I, I can feel important. That that, that person has that position. I can feel important, I can feel justified as part of part of a system where I'm cleaning up. Um, and, if you thought these drawings were bad, get ready. <laughs> This is a person with their shadow, which is like a psychological term for some of the stuff I just talked about, like shame, failure, weakness, pain, vulnerability, you put your own words in there. Um, judgment is constantly trying to carve up reality, like divide it up and say, well, this stuff's good. It's good to be charming, happy, successful, strong, successful, and so that really competent. Um, it's bad to be shameful, be, you know, fail. It's bad to be in pain. It's bad to have weakness. Um, and again, contextualise this for you know, what makes sense to you because I think sometimes we might actually identify what it's really good to like you know uh, share your weakness in front of with people, but there will always be things that are like I don't want that part of myself to be to be visible or to be like a way of uh, you know or to be true I suppose to be true about myself. Um, so judgments constantly trying to carve this reality up and say good good if you want if you want to get on in life this thing good this thing bad. Um, so system of judgment overall is helpful but we're called to something more which is love and love doesn't divide up the whole reality it accepts all of this what does love say to this part of me that I don't like my shadow, my vulnerability, my own naked splayed and crucified body it says you too are welcome here which we acknowledge in the welcome there's space for the truth of life and its uglyness, weakness and sordidness here's a footnote here no, not in a way which fetishizes it and um, love is able to hold all our contradictions, and hold us in all of our contradiction. Here you are being a contradiction and confusion. You who cry at beautiful art and watch pornography. You who would do anything to help your friends and hate the way they go on about, whatever, I was going to say Kingstonian, but Jamie's not here at it sounds like to pick on them. You who want everyone's right to a point of view and can see the flaws in all of them. You who hold your children dearly and tenderly and have sometimes wanted to throw them out the window. You who pursue truth and want to hold power to account, and also binge watch Netflix. All of those parts of ourselves are held by love and welcomed. I started all of this um, with thinking about what it feels like, what it actually feels like to feel judged, and what it feels like to be loved. Because the way we see one another is like generative, which means like it actually has power in the world, as we've seen. That whole system of judgment has power to kill people. Oh yeah, oh yeah. We're going to do that from beginning. Thanks, Shane. It's nice to have you up here. <laughs> <laughs> mm. You asked the and said he's only going to be there a moment, and then. Oh, yeah. I think so. Yeah. Um, I I sort of think maybe you could fill this in yourself. I was going to ask a question, but I'll, I'll leave time for reflection. Um, what is it like to feel judged when you feel like? reduced to some particular moment, perhaps, as someone seeing you. I've, I've said it feels like being trapped, or like not being really seen or understood. Um, and the effect of that is that I often feel defensive, I feel resentful, I feel like I want to fight or I want to escape. Um, I certainly feel closed up. You know, like the soul or any life-giving energy in me just closes down and like shuts up shop when I feel judged. And this shadowy stuff gets pushed further down. I attempt even harder to trying to hide that. And then I asked the question like what does it feel like to be loved? Like really loved. What's that like for you? You know, I think for me it feels like when someone wishes my best. And not just wishes it but like becomes a stakeholder in my best as well. Like the image I almost have for judgment is of like someone being abstracted from reality, like stepping back and thinking they can survey the whole scene and, and see what's right or wrong. Whereas love is about coming alongside, being with people. Uh, Somehow love holds space for me to become more like me. Love holds my best potential in its vision of me already. Judgment reduces me to one moment of behaviour, but love incorporates faith and hope. And it's constantly calling me to my best. um, Because love is invested in me and wishes for, calls out and makes space for my best. I think that love is what I think that love is. Actually, it's sort of it's ironic because judgment almost claims to like have a, a true vision of things, doesn't it? It sort of abstracts itself and says, "This is right, this is wrong, this is how I see things." Love is invested, and yet I think it's actually closer to like truth because I think it's closer to understanding things in its fullness because it makes space for all the stuff that's difficult, all the stuff that we don't like bringing to the fore. In, in um, or, or, or you know, we work to hide, we work to avoid. There's a sort of like irony to that. When I make a judgement, and I'm ruled by judgements I'm aware of, that is often when I feel like I'm being the most objective, but it's also when I'm being driven mostly by my own desire to fulfill my needs. My judgement is often about me trying to feel in control. I feel like. I don't I can get it clearly, I'm sorry. But hopefully you've got something. Um, I think that like Jesus is like the visible image of that, of that love. Of coming alongside and being with us in our pain. Of actually being like actually physically splayed, crucified. Um, vulnerable, naked, weak. And it's like an offensive image if we're not It's an offensive image if we can't if we can't find space for this as well. It's an offensive image if we're still trying to just do the thing, play the game of judgment because it because it brings this up in ourselves and we see it in ourselves. Um, And a threat to my sort of my system comes in two forms often. It's when someone's making me feel like it feels like they're making me feel like a failure or weaker than them or shameful. But it also comes when someone represents that thing, where someone is you know, acting in a way which is perhaps shameful or failure, I I often recoil from it and think, ooh, oh, well, at least I'm better than them. Um, But it's an avoidance of this stuff. I think love overcomes that because it can deal with reality, whereas I don't think judgment can deal with reality in its full full picture. Love doesn't need a scapegoat. Love doesn't need to lie. Um, And I, I, I think the real good news is love is a practice. So like the way I think judgmentalism, a life of judgmentalism can be practised just by doing it, I think love can also be practised because um, I, I think it's an invitation. Love is an invitation. I think the voice of love is in everyone. I call that voice the voice of God. Um, and it also, love requires trust in God and in the spirit of Jesus, like I said, because it's calling out people's best, because it's committed to people. It's a trust that actually i that goodness is already there and is accepting it and it even accepts like again we're joking. it even accepts that stuff um, and then I'll end on this like I was just thinking like a really good example of love if you've ever been um, so like a few people trained in like being a prayer guide for people um, like listening to people Reflecting their prayer experiences, and a lot of what that work is is noticing your own judgments come up. Like, oh, I don't like that theology. Oh, I don't like that word. I don't like that language. And just, and I have to like visualise it, start shelving it, just keep shelving it. And really, what that is is just good listening. It's getting over my constant need to like judge and categorise and you know, like um, uh, order, you know, like um, put it in like a hierarchy. It gets over that, and it's, it's about like entering into someone else's experience and trusting God in them, trusting goodness in them. Uh, because love attempts to recognize and surrender its own projections for the sake of the other person, it actually listens and values the other and calls on the best. It actually accomplishes what judgment thinks it's achieving, because judgment thinks it's putting things in their place, and but it's not. Um there's a story of like in um, sort of, um, some circles of like sort of very like classic one you heard of it with, like someone falling into a ditch and then someone comes past and like says, Oh yeah, yeah, I know I know what you need to do and starts sort of giving instructions from the top and it doesn't really work for this person, so they think, Oh well, I'll leave that and move on and someone else comes by and tries the same thing in a different way. Um, and then the person that comes along says, oh, I'm going to get in the ditch with you and show you how I got out. And I, and I, I sort of see that image as like judgment. as like, oh, I can see what's wrong here. You no, know, I can see what you're doing is wrong. Um, and and you know, I think about this in my like, social interactions. Oh, the way that person does that, they shouldn't do that. They shouldn't like, It's this removed thing. Love is when I enter in someone's experience, and I stand with them. And often for me, I feel like the most loving when I'm praying for someone, when I'm like, entering into prayer with them, because I, it's like a different way of seeing them, a different way of holding them. Um, rather than with my like, very limited, very biased ways of judging the world, it's about um, trusting God in them and calling on their best and being with them and recognizing their own, recognizing myself in them. And I think that's what the power of love is that love recognizes my experience in that other person. It recognizes, it recognizes when I see shame and failure and witnessing and pain in other people, as well as this stuff as well as happiness and success, it recognizes myself in them. Um, and that's very powerful because it stops me carving reality up and, and sort of walking past certain people, you know, addicts maybe, or bankers, and thinking, oh, thank God I'm not them. It recognises that I too am ruled by the exact same desires, the exact same things um, that, that can end up in any sort of like, situation. So yes, we do have no debt to one another, and like, it's good we have all these laws, um, but love is a big responsibility because like, love is like getting stuck in. Um, I think that's, that is a fuller responsibility than fulfilling the law. It's more freeing, but it also demands our whole selves, not just the bits that sometimes we like to bring along. It's not consumer, or, or, um, what's the thing for a sport? An observer sport? A consumer sport? Spectator sport? Love is not a spectator sport. Spectator sport. Um, sorry that I've rambled and rambled on. I hope you enjoyed the drawings. I'm going <laughs>